guys. Welcome to Fourth Joy, a podcast seeking to inspire and encourage Christ followers as they engage the world with the gospel. I'm Nathan Garrett, your host, and thanks for joining. Well, hello, my friends and listeners. Again, I have fallen short in getting a new episode out in time. Life be crazy, and though things haven't all gone as planned, there's been a lot of amazing things going on here. God is definitely working in and through our team. I've been really enjoying feeling the warm sun, finally, and witnessing the rebirth of all of the plants and flowers and trees. But I've also been ecstatic about the way God is growing our team, and I pray that we would continue to see beautiful things springing up in each of us so that we might diffuse the pleasing aroma of Christ. Anyways, in today's episode, we'll be discussing one of the best examples in the Bible of a man who was faithful with the life he was given. His name is Jeremiah. Not only will we be talking about passages directly from the book of Jeremiah, but we'll also be discussing some quotes from Eugene Peterson's book, Run with the Horses, The Quest for Life at Its Best. At the end of January, another organization called TEAM invited the SEND leadership team and some leaders from other organizations as well to join together for a virtual retreat. I loved seeing a few missions organizations collaborating and seeking the Lord together. Anyways, one of the leaders from team, Mike Bowden, shared about Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 12, 1 through 4, Jeremiah is complaining, saying, God, why do you let the wicked get away with everything, and meanwhile, you don't let me get away with a thing? Do something to them. Then in verse 5, God responds, So, Jeremiah, if you are worn out in this foot race with men, what makes you think you can race against horses? And if you can't keep your wits during times of calm, what's going to happen when troubles break loose like the Jordan flood? Mike shared that this interaction between Jeremiah and God revealed that they enjoyed an intimate relationship. Jeremiah talked honestly with God, and then he listened to God's response even though it may not have been what he wanted to hear. So Mike asked, how can we run with the horses? He argued that the only way to run with horses is to walk with God. I love the beautiful paradox in that sentence. Listen to it again. The only way to run with horses is to walk with God. Mike also referred to Isaiah 40, 31, which says, But those who wait upon God get fresh strength. They spread their wings and soar like eagles. They run and don't get tired. They walk and don't lag behind. His point was that God was calling Jeremiah not to exhaust himself by trying to keep up with people, but that learning to wait is God's way of cultivating an intimate relationship with us. Mike shared with us what he considered to be Jeremiah's two callings. His first call was to learn to walk in intimacy with God, and his second call was to call others into an intimate relationship with God as well. I instantly resonated with these two callings and believe wholeheartedly that they should be the two callings of every believer. What better way is there to spend a life than on cultivating intimacy with God and drawing others into that same intimacy? Mike mentioned Eugene Peterson's book, Run With the Horses, and I knew I had to read it. Peterson, in his typical down-to-earth style, gives a great overview of the life of Jeremiah and how he was a great example of a man who lived his life fully devoted to the Lord. I don't know about you, but whenever I think of the Bible characters I've usually turned to as good examples to follow, Jeremiah hasn't really been on that list. Well, that's now changed. Most often, I read the book of Jeremiah in the middle of my annual Bible reading plan, and it's, it's hard to get the context in that setting, especially if you're just reading the Bible in the order of the books of the Bible instead of reading chronologically. But it's also hard to grasp because if you only read a few chapters at a time, the life of Jeremiah can get pretty mixed up. 
I didn't realize until recently that the book of Jeremiah isn't even written in order. As I read Run With The Horses, I grew a lot in my appreciation for this prophet. I've always appreciated Jeremiah's calling. It's, it's so real. It's very similar to when God called Moses. God tells Jeremiah that he is ordained to be a prophet to the nations. And then Jeremiah says, Who, me? I can't speak. I'm just a young guy. And then God responds, Don't tell me you can't speak, because I will be with you. For Jeremiah's entire life, he proved that he believed in the power of God's presence. Sure, he had his moments of weakness and doubt, but Jeremiah's actions were faithful to the God who had called him to be a prophet to the nations. Peterson says, Indisputably great persons arouse curiosity. What are they like on the inside? What do they do when they are not being watched? What goes on in their private lives? Our appetite for gossip, for confessions, for inside information is insatiable. For every person who reads the front page story on a politician's speech, there are 20 who will read the gossip column that describes in delicious detail his companion at dinner the night before. We want, we say, to know what a person is really like. We are not content with the public image, the outer event, the external happening. We pounce on any detail, however insignificant, that might reveal what goes on behind the scenes of the heart. In the book of Jeremiah, we get a pretty good look into Jeremiah's heart. His doubts, his weaknesses, but through it all, we see his obedience rooted in his belief that God is the true good. Peterson says it well in talking about the life of Jeremiah. What he did fear was worship without astonishment, religion without commitment. He feared getting what he wanted and missing what God wanted. It is still the only thing worthy of our fear. What a waste it would be to take these short, precious, eternity-charged years that we are given and squander them in cocktail chatter when we can be, like Jeremiah, vehemently human and passionate with God. I love this statement from Peterson because it flips those popular acronyms YOLO and FOMO on their heads. YOLO, or you only live once, and FOMO stands for fear of missing out. Usually these are used to talk about making sure you're getting the full experience of life and oftentimes that means indulging in things and experiences that aren't exactly good for us. But Eugene helps us see that in fact we should have a fear of missing out missing out on the life God has for us, that walking in God's ways are where true joy and abundant life are found. There's always been a tendency for self-righteousness and pharisaical pride in the church, which causes many people to think of Christianity as a club for party poopers. But if we read the Bible correctly with eyes opened by the Spirit of God, we see quite the opposite. God commands celebrations and feasts in honor of His incredible works. Moses and Miriam sang praises to God. David sang songs, played the harp, and danced unabashedly before the Lord. Many other songs were sung by the judges and the prophets. And then in the New Testament, it is extremely clear that joy is an essential quality of a believer. It is evident of the Spirit's work in us. It's commanded not only when times are good, but even commanded in times of suffering and persecution. Jesus himself was called a glutton and a drunkard. He knew how to party. Because as he enjoyed good food and good wine, he ate and drank with a heart and mind that gave thanks to his father. He didn't give himself over to his cravings for more than what was good for him. When the church is at its finest just after Pentecost, Luke writes that the believers were attending the temple together and breaking bread in the homes, and that they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Followers of Christ should be the most joyful people on earth. We alone have assured hope that we will live forever in the presence of God. Jesus, our Savior, has already defeated sin, Satan, and death. Don't believe the lie that if you were faithful to God, that he's keeping something good from you. Instead, remember Psalm 1611 that says, 
you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It is in believing the truth that true life is only with God that we can overcome the lie that we're missing out. Peterson gives a really beautiful and practical example about what life with God is all about and I think can really benefit our prayer lives. He says, Nearly everyone believes in God and throws casual offhand remarks in his general direction from time to time. But prayer is something quite different. Suppose yourself at dinner with a person whom you very much want to be with, a friend, a lover, a person important to you. The dinner is in a fine restaurant where everything is arranged to give you a sense of privacy. There is adequate illumination at your table with everything else in shadow. You are aware of other persons and other activity in the room, but they do not intrude on your intimacy. There is talking and listening. There are moments of silence full of meaning. From time to time, a waiter comes to your table. You ask questions of him. You place your order with him. You ask to have your glass refilled. You send the broccoli back because it arrived cold. You thank him for his attentive service and leave a tip. You depart still in companionship with the person with whom you dined, but out on the street, conversation is less personal, more casual. That is a picture of prayer. The person with whom we set aside time for intimacy, for this deepest and most personal conversation, is God. At such times, the world is not banished, but it is in the shadows on the periphery. Prayer is never complete and unrelieved solitude. It is, though, carefully protected and skillfully supported intimacy. Prayer is the desire to listen to God firsthand, to speak to God firsthand, and then setting aside the time and making the arrangements to do it. It issues from the conviction that the living God is immensely important to me and that what goes on between us demands my exclusive attention. Ah, man, that's such a masterfully crafted picture of what prayer should look like. When Brittany and I were in college together, we were able to have romantic dates all the time. We were young, full of energy, and freer than we even knew. Nowadays, with four children, ministry, homeschool, church, and everything else on our plates, it's a whole lot harder to get that magical date night on the calendar. We have to be intentional about our time together. I take more joy in getting to talk with my wife for 10 uninterrupted minutes than I thought was possible. I can enjoy her presence even when we're not talking but are in the same room together. I love watching her face light up as she reads something funny on her phone or gets to read a message from a friend. We're all busy and prayer can seem overwhelming sometimes because there's so much to pray about and our minds are slippery and there's so many distractions. But Peterson's description of a private dinner is so good because it reveals something that we, or at least I, often miss. Every prayer does not have to be an intimate and private time with God. Shoot up those arrow prayers to God right before you have a meeting or as you begin to drive your car. Acknowledge God with praise and thanksgiving every time you eat because food is such a gift from Him. Silently plead for help when you're going through a trial. We do need to be intentional about having those longer and more intimate times. Brittany and I have gotten into a really good morning routine where we get our more intimate time with the Lord in before the kids get up. It's the only quiet we have until 8 p.m., so it's a priority to get out of bed, pour the coffee, and meet with our Father. The more time we spend with God in an intimate setting, the more natural it feels to communicate with Him throughout the day. Peterson says, No one becomes human the way Jeremiah was human by posing in a posture of victory. It was his prayers, hidden but persistent, that brought him to the human wholeness and spiritual sensitivity that we want. What we do in secret determines the soundness of who we are in public. Prayer is the secret work that develops a life that is thoroughly authentic and deeply human. Prayer is so hard for many of us, and I think there's a big reason why. 
If prayer is a transformative work that changes us from the inside out as we commune with God, the enemy does not want us to get anywhere near it. If we pay close attention, we're going to realize that when we sit down to pray, there are going to be a ton of things that come to mind. It might be, you don't know how to pray right, so why bother? It could be, if you spend 15 minutes of prayer, that's 15 minutes you've lost at being productive. Whatever you hear when you want to start praying, you need to have some things prepared to fight back with. First of all, as long as you're sincere in your prayers and you come to him often with praise, thanksgiving, confession, and love, you know how to pray. You don't have to be careful with your words. You don't even have to clean up your thoughts. Just read the Psalms to see that sometimes David prayed for God to destroy his enemies. Uh, that isn't exactly what Jesus taught, so obviously it's not the right way to think about our enemies, but it's sincere. It was how David felt. When someone comes to you with major problems and complaints, as guys, our tendency is usually to try to fix it, right? <laughs> I just made that mistake last week. Again, sometimes also we act as though we're the Holy Spirit. Your friend says something in anger and you're like, dude, the Bible says that we shouldn't curse or as Christians, we're supposed to let God have vengeance. Instead, it's better if we just listen to them and be there for them to say, man, that stinks and I'm really sorry that happened. And then just be praying for them. That's the kind of friend that God is. If you come to him saying in frustration that you want that jerk on the highway who cut you off, to go drive off a bridge, God isn't going to turn his back on you or plug up his ears. He's going to hear you. He wants you to share your heart. And instead of answering your unrighteous prayer with a yes, he'll work in you by his Holy Spirit, transforming your desires and thoughts. Maybe you'll see that actually you've been the jerk sometimes, cutting other people off. Or maybe he'll help you to see that life is a whole lot more pleasant when you're not so easily angered. Anyways, the point is, don't listen to that voice that says you can't pray. Just start talking to God. The more you do, the more you'll know him and the more you'll want to talk to him. Another great thing about Jeremiah was the amount of time he spent meditating on God's word. Jeremiah was prophet during the reign of King Josiah, who had discovered the book of the law. Peterson shares, The book Jeremiah read was Deuteronomy. Discovered in the course of the temple repairs, it was the handbook for Josiah's reform. Jeremiah grew up with the book. He pondered and absorbed its message. The book Jeremiah read developed into the book that Jeremiah wrote. Just as Deuteronomy re-preached the message of Moses to a people who had lost touch with Moses, so Jeremiah re-preached the message of Deuteronomy to a people who had drifted from its moorings. Here we see Jeremiah demonstrate the idea of what goes in must come out. Jeremiah was so full of God's word, so full of his law, that it oozed out of him. May that be true of us. May each of us spend so much time reading, studying, meditating, memorizing, and singing God's word that it does a mighty work in us and then just pours out of us as we live and move and have our being. The word of God isn't just an ordinary book, after all. It's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. If you are spending any decent amount of time in the word of God, you are going to be transformed. You're going to have different thoughts. Things you once enjoyed are going to become stupid or disgusting to you. May we all be walking messages of God. Jeremiah revealed that if you are immersed in God's word, the rules of life are just going to be different. Peterson says, Jeremiah's letter is a rebuke and a challenge. Quit sitting around feeling sorry for yourselves. The aim of the person of the faith is not to be as comfortable as possible, but to live as deeply and thoroughly as possible. To deal with the reality of life. Discover truth create beauty, act out of love. 
You didn't do it when you were in Jerusalem. Why don't you try doing it here in Babylon? Don't listen to the lying prophets who make an irresponsible living by selling you false hopes. You were in Babylon for a long time. You better make the best of it. Don't just get along, waiting for some miraculous intervention. Build houses, plant gardens, marry husbands, marry wives, have children, pray for the wholeness of Babylon, and do everything you can to develop that wholeness. The only place you have to be human is where you are right now. The people of God since the fall have had bad eyes. We all often look to this world as if what we should pursue is the most beautiful, the easiest, the most comfortable. When Abraham told Lot that this land ain't big enough for the both of us, he gave Lot the choice of where to go. And what did Lot do? He chose the most beautiful spot, which ended up becoming Sin City. When the people of Israel were in the wilderness, many of them wanted to go back to Egypt as slaves because at least it was easier to be a slave in a rich nation than to wander around for who knows how long just eating manna every day. Jesus taught that we shouldn't try to store up treasures on earth, but to have the sight to store up treasures in heaven. In Jeremiah's time, the people of Israel were taken captive by the Babylonians, and there were false prophets telling them that their exile would be short. Of course the people wanted to believe that. It's more comfortable back home, so surely God isn't going to make us stay here for long. But God had other plans. So Jeremiah is fighting those lies, saying, Look, God has you in Babylon for a long time. Instead of wasting away with false hopes, lay down roots. Don't be afraid of Babylon. Don't seek protection from them from Egypt. I'm going to be with you and I will be kind to you. This all seems like good news to me. But wouldn't you know it, the people's eyes were so bad, they couldn't even see when God was clearly trying to bless them. They didn't believe Jeremiah and they refused to obey God. Jeremiah wasn't fooled by the false prophets because he had an intimate relationship with God. God spoke to him, telling him what to do and what to say. And though we're probably never going to receive instruction from God in the same way as Jeremiah did, we do all have the incredible opportunity to know what God wants. Because he wrote the entire Bible that we might know him, know his character, his heart. There might not be a verse in the Bible that tells you which socks you need to wear today, but there are plenty of passages that reveal to us that God is all about mercy, justice, love that his business is about exalting the humble and humbling the prideful. As we study the life of Jesus, we see the king of kings washing people's feet, eating with the outcasts, and being compassionate even when he was most exhausted. Jesus taught that a servant isn't greater than his master. So if Jesus did all those things, shouldn't we be all about serving others? The church is often a place where sinners aren't welcome because they're not good enough, when in reality, the church should be the place for sinners. We should be intentional about being hospitable to the dirty, the drunk, the desperate. Our natural reaction may be to be appalled at someone's appearance or behavior, but it's the Christian's responsibility to go against the natural, to go upstream. Peterson says, Religions that we make up for ourselves always reduce reality to what we feel comfortable with or what makes us comfortable. We love being insiders. We feel secure when we are with cronies who talk our language and sing our songs and don't rock the boat. It hardly matters that such a life is banal. It is safe. Why does man accept to live a trivial life? Asks Ernest Becker. His answer, because of the danger of a full horizon of experience, of course. The danger is not to our humanity, but to our sense of running life on our own terms, managing people and things with ourselves at the center. The larger the world, the less of it we subject to our own control. But that is a miserable ambition and a certain prescription for boredom. 
It is God's world and God rules it. Our wholeness comes from participating in what God is doing, not manipulating what we can manage. He continues, The larger the world we live in, the larger our lives develop in between coziness and character. Jonah was torn between his desire for an undisturbed enjoyment of his personal potential and accumulated possessions, and the fulfillment of a vocation that smashed his preconceptions and interrupted his comfortable pursuit of happiness. Meanwhile, there is Jeremiah and the people like him who keep showing up in our homes and communities and churches, who go beyond the boundaries of what is safe and comfortable, learn new languages, discover alien cultures, brave hostility and misunderstanding, and who have the scars and tell the stories that prove that the life of faith can be lived in every place and among all peoples, must be lived in every place among all peoples. Well, that's about all I got today, but I hope that this episode encourages you to study the life of Jeremiah more deeply and to work at emulating him, that we should all live with these two priorities, to desperately seek a deep and intimate relationship with God, and then to work always to draw others into that same kind of relationship with him as well. This kind of life isn't easy. It requires daily surrender, intentionality, and a perseverance even in the hardest trials. But a life submitted to God's plan is a sure way to live for the joy. Thanks so much for listening.